Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was director of Lift Renewal Ministries, we would often be meeting people for the first time and we wanted to have some kind of an icebreaker, so we would provide them with a list of 10 questions, just like they do on uh, Inside the Actors Studio. 10 questions, and uh, one of those questions was, if you could do today anything that Jesus was reported to have done when he was on the earth, what would you do? If you could do today anything that Jesus was reported to have done when he was on the earth, what would you do? Would you take 15 seconds each and share that with a person sitting next to you right now? How, what would you do? Uh, go ahead. <laughs> You know, it's funny, um, you get a sense of why people were asking Moses to cover his face with a veil when you hear how quietly you attack that question. Uh, you know, it's one thing to follow Jesus, but to actually do what he did? A couple of nights ago, uh, Judy saw me stepping into the hot tub and she said, what are you doing? And I said, I try it every time I get in, because what I would do is I would walk on water. <laughs> and I tried, but boom, right down to the bottom. I have not yet enough faith. But I encourage all of you, because somewhere in this room is somebody that Jesus will gift with that gift. So when you're getting into your bathtub or stepping into the swimming pool or something, just give it a shot. I mean, you never know, right? If you never step into the water, you're never going to know if you can't walk. What would we do? That's the same kind of question that comes up whenever we hear people say, you know, I wish, like, Miss Carroll said, that I could travel back in time, and that I could talk, that I wish I could talk to Jesus face to face. John Maxwell, the great uh, leader and, and teacher of the church, he said, you know, I don't think people really do want to know what <laughs> God would have to say if they could meet him face to face, because I don't think God wants to talk about the same things that we want to talk about. And that may be the closest thing we need to understanding today's passage. These disciples had just been told by Jesus that the Son of Man, that the mission of the Son of Man was to suffer and to be handed over and betrayed and to be killed. Jesus was fully immersed in the scriptures contained in the prophet Isaiah. He had asked his disciples, hey, they're talking about me, I know it, so what are they saying about me? And they said, well, they're saying you're Elijah or you're this person or even John the Baptist come back from the dead. And he said, no, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter blurted out, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, heaven and earth have revealed this to you, Peter. You couldn't have come to that conclusion on your own. And then he proceeded to tell them that this is the mission of the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God, to suffer. That's what Isaiah said. And if Jesus was going to be the fulfillment of that song of the suffering servant, then he himself must suffer. I have often wondered if Jesus, in teaching this to his disciples, had become so overwhelmed 
by the very thought of it. Because it's like that when you say something aloud for the first time, isn't it? You've been carrying something around inside of you. It's a big secret. You don't want to tell anybody. And when you finally let it out, it feels so good to have it off your chest. But at the same time, you think, oh my God, when I hear myself say it out loud, oh, the weight of it. And so Jesus did what very few of us do with that weight, but I wish as a pastor all of us would do. He grabbed three of his closest friends and said, come away with me on a prayer retreat. I need to let this really sink down. So they went up on the mountain, and as Luke tells us, what happened next was what Bible scholars call a theophany, an appearance of God upon the earth. And just like our uh, celebration of Epiphany, where the Magi came and pronounced that Jesus was the Son of God, just like at his baptism at the beginning of the season after Epiphany, when the voice came from the cloud and said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. So now we have another announcement of God about the nature and the work of Jesus in the world. This is my Son, my beloved. Listen to him. I've been on Facebook a lot this week. I've been hearing from colleagues a lot this week, and I'm thinking to myself, who's listening right now? Because everybody has become an instant output device. So who's really listening? What should, what should we say about Jesus in this case? We know that Peter and James and John had grown drowsy, and they were in that delirious place where the dreams are always freshest right before you wake up. And sometimes they're so vivid you're not sure if they're real or not. And they looked up and they saw Jesus. And his whole countenance had become whiter than any, anything on earth could account for. He was shining with the light of God. And next to him was Moses on one side and Elijah on the other. I, I will always be indebted to a... Uh, a patriarch from the Eastern Orthodox Church, and I don't know his name because I read this a number of years ago, and I can't even remember the journal in which I was reading it, but I will never forget the image. He said, here stood Jesus with Moses on one side and Elijah on the other. And Moses, for all of us, said the patriarch, should be the picture of all compassion. How many times in the wilderness wanderings did Moses stand before God who was angry with the people for their grumbling and for their disobedience and for their wanting to go back to Egypt and Moses stood there like a, like a rock and he said, God, save these people. And he was not willing to allow anyone to perish in the wilderness. It broke his heart whenever anyone died in the wilderness. An entire generation went by in the wilderness and Moses longed to keep them as part of God's people. He moved at a glacial pace. It only takes about four and a half or five hours, I'm told, to drive from where they left the Sea of Reeds to the Promised Land. And it took them 40 years wandering around out there in part because Moses wasn't willing to let any of them go without a second chance. An absolute picture of compassion. And Elijah stands on the other side, says the patriarch, 
who is an absolute picture of the defense of the purity of God. Elijah got so ticked off at the prophets of Baal one day that he poured a bunch of water on a bunch of wood and then he called down fire from heaven and he called a little too much and the spillover incinerated all the prophets of Baal. Yay, God. And Elijah was stoked with this kind of fire that said there cannot be anyone who stands before God with any blemish or any impurity. But we all must do everything that the the law commands and we all must stand before God unblemished and pure. And this patriarch said there between this image of the perfect purity of our faith and the perfect compassion of our humanity, there between them stands Jesus, shining with the light of God. And his presence there And that light there is a reminder to all of us that we can never, ever resolve the tension between the law that Moses gave and its enforcement in the prophets. We can never allow that to be completely resolved in one direction or the other. They have to come together in Christ. Hear this, church. We don't get to throw anyone away. Not the people who insist that there can be no place for full inclusion for LGBTQ people, and nor can we throw away those who insisted on that. But we have to find a place for all of it. And so far, the church that we have known as United Methodist hasn't found any way to get all of that to fit comfortably under one tent. And so we have to continue to turn to God We have to, brothers and sisters, hear the voice of God say, listen to him. Listen to him. I don't have answers to all of these perplexing questions. But I want to propose a rule to live by here at FUMCO to you today. And I believe it's backed up by Scripture. And I believe it's reasonable. But understand, this is your pastor talking. I am not an oracle in this moment. And you have to test all of this to see whether this spirit is of God. But I think what we do here is we set the outer doors of our community of faith so that they don't restrict anyone from coming in. We have to make our boundaries as permeable as we possibly can. Anyone can be here. Anyone. Yes, the smelly homeless guy. Yes, that person who comes back time and again. The woman who sneaks in and takes not one, not two, not three, but four lunches from the rack if we're not watching. And she does it all the time. Yes, she is welcome to come in. Everyone is welcome to come in. The fundamentalists are welcome. The traditionalists are welcome. The centrists are welcome. The progressives are welcome. The well-accomplished are welcome, and the ones who can't seem to get their life started even though they just turned 40, they're welcome. But no one who comes in this place gets to stay the same. And I mean no one.
And please let that sink in. We are all on a journey. And sometimes my journey gets so hard, so deep. Sometimes I'm wading through my own muck at such a slow pace that I find it far easier to find somebody else across the room and say, that's the problem right over there. This has to be a place of true transformation in which Jesus himself, by his transfiguration, makes it imperative that all of us attend to God's agenda. What is God's agenda? Well, I will tell you, turn to Matthew 5, 6, and 7. There's the Sermon on the Mount, and that's a pretty good reading of the house rules. Welcome to God's house. There are a couple things we need to talk to you about, like loving your neighbor as yourself, like doing unto others as you would have them do unto you, like turning the cheek and going a second mile, by reminding each other that we are blessed by God. Some of you know I'm an inveterate UCLA Bruin fan. Even though I didn't go to their school, I was born in their hospital, so what can I say? They have had a mighty struggle this season in their basketball uh, team, and they have a center who's a freshman, just a kid, and he's seven feet, one inch tall. And they have a guard who's about six foot two. And this center came down the floor, they threw a ball to him, he traveled, and then threw the ball out of bounds. And uh, he did it on national TV in a really big game. And he just was walking up the court like this. And this little six-foot-two guard came running over to him, grabbed him by the chin, and picked his chin up off his chest. And slapped him on the shoulder and said, let's go, let's go. They were 17 points behind, and they won that game. Because somebody went to the one who was lowly and picked up their chin. Nobody gets to stay the same. Not even the one who has been a victim all their life. You come here as a victim, God's going to make you a champion. And he's going to use my size 12 to help you along the way as I kick you down the road. This is a place of transformation. And in our baptism, that transformation has just begun. It's entire sanctification we are after, friends, until every last one of us shines with the light of Christ ourselves. This is what it means to listen to Christ. So let us have no more of telling the world what the other guy is doing wrong. But in openness and generosity and peace, let us, as the scriptures say, bear one another's burdens and rejoice in one another's glory. This is the picture of the church I propose. An absolutely wide open door. And at the center of it, the solid rock of Jesus Christ, against which every wave must one day break. I would walk on water if I could. What was it you said you could do? What was it said you would do? Hmm. Sometimes you'll drive down the road and you'll see a bicycle. The wheels, the chain, and everything else have been painted bright white. Have you ever seen one of those? They're called ghost bikes. 
They are there because somebody was struck and killed as a cyclist. Sometimes you're driving down the road and you'll see a set of candles and a cross on the side of the road. Some place where a life ended and a small shrine has been set up. Do you know what else Jesus and Moses and Elijah have in common? They all disappeared without a trace. Moses never went into the land and no one ever knew where his grave ended up. And Elijah, after striking the ground three times and passing his mantle to Elisha, was taken up in a cloud. And Jesus, having been raised from the dead, was taken up from them. There's a clue in that for all of us, friends. We work in this world while we can because it is our privilege to serve the Lord. But we don't leave any of that behind. Instead, we are taken up with Christ into glory. This picture of the resurrection that we have previewed, like a preview of coming attractions in the transfiguration of Jesus, will get the disciples all the way to Jerusalem and all the way through their heartbrokenness and all the way to Easter Sunday. May that be the case for each of us too. May the risen Lord Jesus Christ rise in our hearts this day and in awe and trembling before him, may we listen to him and take up the work of the church now and always. Amen.